Dan, the food industry executive, is back by popular demand. It's just a slow rolling disaster. And so what you have seen, expect to see more. When disaster strikes, will you be prepared? This is Prepping 2.0 with authors and prepping experts, Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Online at prepping2-0.com. Get ready. Prepping 2.0 coming in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone. This is Shelby Gallagher over here at Prepping 2.0, joined by my co-host on this show and co-host in life, Glenn Tate. Dan, the food industry executive, is back by popular demand. He's going to give you inside information on what's coming with food prices and availability and why. Our Patreon supporters got to ask him their questions, which is yet another reason to be a Patreon supporter. We continue the conversation with Dan, the food industry guy, in the after show, which is available exclusively to Patreon supporters. Hey, so here's a mystery. Okay. What could Shelby Gallagher's favorite iced drink be in the heat of summer? Um, iced uh, coffee? Yes. What kind of coffee? Minutemen coffee. Oh, yum. You know why? Why? Because you're an addict. Because I am an addict of Minutemen coffee. I encourage all of you, even in the heat of summer, to think about taking your favorite cup of Minutemen coffee and pouring it over ice and drink it the same. You can find them at MinutemenCoffee.com. But even better, go to our website, Prepping2-0.com. Click on Friends and Affiliates. You'll find not only Minutemen over there, but a really awesome coupon code. Love Minutemen Coffee. They are what energizes Shelby Gallagher. This show is going to be coming out on July 27th, 2022. I mentioned that date because a few days later, on July 30th, 2022, is our big picnic palooza in Missoula. I'm just going to mention, if you're hearing about this for the first time, odds are you're not going to be able to drop what you're doing in the next three days and uh, go to Montana and uh, come and join all the other Prepping 2.0ers and some special guests. But if you can, go ahead and do it. It's at the uh, Bella Vista Pavilion at the Fort Missoula State Park State in Park Missoula. In Missoula, Montana. Lurkers. Lurkers come out of the shadows. What is a lurker? Well, a lurker is somebody who listens to the regular show, that is the free show on radio stations. Thank you, radio listeners, by the way. We never give you guys enough credit, but thank you, radio listeners. They listen on the radio or on the internet version of the podcast, maybe at iTunes or Spotify or however they listen to it. And uh, they're not Patreon supporters, so they miss out on the after show. And they also miss out on being able to ask their questions of incredibly great guests like Dan, the food industry guy. And they miss out on the quite honestly hilarious outtakes that we have. So we've created a few already today. Exactly. So to not be a lurker, the way to go about that is to go onto our uh, website, prepping2-0.com. On the upper right, there's a big button that says become a Patreon supporter. Hit that button and for two bucks a month or five bucks a month, um, with five bucks a month, you get the video bonus shows, which are fantastic and they've been very popular. You can become a supporter of the show and you get the full access to the Patreon posting system where you can ask Dan questions, for example. You can get all kinds of other things. We have a recipe board going. It's really, really more complete prepping 2.0 experience, and it's not a lot of money. So we humbly ask you to become a Patreon supporter. Well, let's get into it. How cool would it be to hang out with a bona fide food industry executive and hear what's coming in the second half of 2022 and beyond? Not only what's coming with food prices and availability, but why. You'll never look at your grocery store shelves the same after you hear Dan's insider expert knowledge. So, Dan, we're going to get right into it. Hello to you. How are you doing these days? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Good. Excellent. Let's just get right to it. Knock so them Jan- out. Janet asked, Sounds me, good. She asked, are there shortages in our crops? What you are hearing as well. I am curious if it is correct information. Our area had a poor spring planting due to weather, but unsure of the rest of the country. Where do you see the biggest shortfalls? Great question. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the the shortages in, in U.S. crops are, it's definitely a thing. So due to fertilizer costs, um, you know, over the last year or so, but especially over the last six months, uh, planting was not nearly as high as what you would expect. Now, it's not catastrophically low, um, but planting was certainly down um, just due to input costs. Um, 
and that is fairly universal across, you know, all types of grains, corn, wheat, soybeans, basically everything. Um, and then on top of that, we've got our second straight uh, La Nina year. So it's very, very hot. It's very, very dry, um, particularly in the central part of the country and in the West. Um, about 70% of the U.S. is under drought. So when you start off with uh, lower planting and then you add in a significant uh, drought year, yeah, the, the crop is going to be poor. Really, every time the USDA releases a report, it's a little bit worse than the report before. You know, you can see month over month the decline um, in overall yields, but you're also seeing a decline in quality, which I probably sound like a broken record because this is exactly what happened last year as well um, when I was on the show last year, is just consistently downgrading uh, volume and quality until you finally get to harvest season. Um, and, and that's that's the projection for this year. Uh, again, not catastrophically down, but just consistently down over what would be expected. Um, so yeah, it's really everywhere uh, to answer that question. Well, and what percentage roughly of our food comes from other countries? Because the reason I ask that question is, let's say crop yields are down in the United States, if we can just buy all we need from other countries for cheap prices, then it sort of doesn't matter. Um, so given what you said about U.S. crop yields, how does the global market affect availability and prices in the U.S.? Big, huge question, I know. Yeah, sure. So so it's a little bit difficult to calculate that because we import and we export sometimes of the exact same thing. Um, the, the generally, it's held that the U.S. Uh, imports about 20% of our total food supply, um, mostly in things like seafood. Um, so we don't actually import that much. We're, we export a lot. We, we have the ability to feed ourselves and many other countries at the same time, uh, generally speaking. Uh, the problem is that when it comes to uh, your grains that, well, really everything, but it really comes into focus with grains is that we have open contracts most of the time on who gets that grain. So for example, we export a lot of our grains to China and other places. Um, so a down year here is, is something that results in increased prices, but the really globally, uh, yields are down globally. It's not a U.S. only phenomenon. Um, so not only are yields down, but then you have other situations uh, in other countries like uh, China had a really lousy growing year and they're hoarding all the food they can get. You know, the Russia-Ukraine situation is holding up a lot of grain and a lot of fertilizer. Um, and you've got other nations uh, all over the world, too, who are implementing export bans on their primary foodstuffs, you know, rice and things like that. So when you roll all that together, um, and I'm not predicting anything catastrophic for the U.S., but lowering yields here absolutely lead to higher prices um, on an ongoing basis. I hope that answers the question. Oh, immaculately so. And by the way, and you're going to make this point, too, I think you just did, actually, and that is there's a difference between higher prices and uh, scarcity. In other words, yes. and I know that higher prices are not awesome given all the other inflationary pressures that regular families that don't get a 15% wage hike every year, because uh, that's about what the real inflation rate is. So I'm not saying prices going up is no big deal, but I am saying it's less of a big deal than the shelves being bare, which I'm guessing you would agree with that. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, when the prices go up in the U.S., what that equals is scarcity elsewhere. Oh, wow. Right. Our, mm -hmm. we, we get what we get because we have the money to buy it and we produce a lot of it. Um, so, you know, if prices go up here, that means we're outbidding someone else somewhere uh, in the world. And generally that's Africa, Middle East and parts of Asia that we're outbidding. And they're the ones that actually uh, hit scarcity. And we can talk more about the, you know, uh, other countries later on if you want to. Well, and we're seeing that, Dan. I'm going to just piggyback off of that thought. Sure. You can We can talk about later or now, but that's why we're seeing sure. uh, countries in major unrest right now as the population is experiencing scarcity. They are 
storming presidential palaces yeah. in Sri Lanka, for example. Yeah, there. And this, and yeah. I, and also, the, you spoke to this. Gosh, back during COVID, when we first had you on, that when you have these smaller countries who cannot compete on the world market, they will be hit first. We still have the mm-hmm. buffer and the privilege, and that may not, I wouldn't say privilege, we still have the, what comes with being a U.S. citizen, it's not necessarily privilege, but because we are we are a bigger, bigger on the world stage of that, we, we're, we're buffered by that, but smaller countries are going to really feel that brunt first. So did you want to speak to that? Yeah, and that's, that is absolutely true. So when there is scarcity, and there is scarcity, in food now globally um there's even more of a scarcity when it comes to fertilizer um which obviously is a, a lagging indicator of scarcity or excuse me a front-running indicator of when there will be um, scarcity in food and what you're seeing globally is that nations and typically in africa and the middle east uh, parts of asia you know you mentioned sri lanka for sure those countries feel the pinch first um, because they don't produce nearly enough to feed their own population. They, they rely on imports. Um, and so when fertilizer is uh, short, those prices are going to go up. And what they do produce, they're not going to be able to produce as well. When fuel prices go up, that's the real killer um, for a lot of these developing nations. And so when you come down to the world market where these are glo- these are contracts for food that can be bid on globally, yeah, the, the poorest country is going to be hit the hardest. So the UN, you know, take it or leave it. <laughs> but the UN Love to leave it. has said that <laughs> they've said that their estimates are that almost a billion people uh, will face starvation over the next year. Wow. And that's not starve. They're not projecting that they will starve to death, but that there will be a real threat that a billion people could face starvation over the next 12 months. And And I don't disagree with that, by the way, that statement from the UN. Uh, I think that that's a realistic number um, based upon the global shortages that we're facing. We're about a billion people short of foodstuffs this year. And what people don't necessarily understand is that it's not just the calamity, the absolute horrific tragedy of a a billion people starving, which is bad enough. But what comes Mm -hmm. with that is all the political unrest and we're right. going to see revolutions. We're going to see all kinds of changes. We're going to see disruptions. Whenever a country goes through a revolution, if there's, you know, oil that they produce or there's some sort of thing that they have in their country that can't be accessed, classic example being Ukrainian um, grain cannot get out of the Black Sea because of all the mines and the <laughs> Russian naval vessels. Um, there's going to be massive disruptions of all kinds of things. And so it's a bigger tragedy. And this is going to sound odd. It's a bigger tragedy than just a billion people starving. It's it's a calamity, in my opinion, uh, you know, for, for global uh, people. I mean, people all over the globe. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Because when a, when a nation falls into unrest and disarray, what happens there is whatever resources that did have to offer are now taken off the table mm-hmm. for the most part. Well, put. right. So if you're, if you're in a nation that imports 100% of their food, but you also produce a huge amount of, you know, say five different uh, elements that the rest of the world needs, if you don't have the food and you fall into calamity, well, those, those mining operations are highly likely to be disrupted, which compounds the problem down the road. So every time you see this nation is having you know, rice, Sri Lanka is shut down. Um, you know, there's about 15 countries right now that are undergoing that same type of thing across the world. Well, you're taking global resources off the table yeah. every time that happens. Quite yeah. literally off the table, as in not having food on the table. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I, yes. so is yes. it your turn, Glenn? I think the next question yeah. is kind of fun. Yeah, but, but serious. Given what we've just been talking exactly. about. And yeah, so just to take it a different direction, do you want to read it? Yeah, sure. In the category of first world problems, um, <laughs> we have Scott Camp who says, what's up with Gatorade? Difficult to find certain varieties in the store and many convenience stores stay out of fountain drinks for long periods. We have been buying powdered, but that is also hard to find. So, Dan, the food industry guy, what's up with Gatorade? 
Yeah. Yeah. So Gatorade is, is a bit of an odd one. Um, they've just run into issue after issue with sourcing uh, what what goes into Gatorade. Um, not, not sugar, for example, necessarily, but some of the other things that they keep running into issues. I have a, I have a friend that works over there and he's quite frustrated. Um, so they keep running into sourcing issues. They also retooled a lot of their equipment to make, uh, smaller sizes, shrinkflation. Shocking. Um, hmm. yeah. Can you believe it? Hmm. Um, so they, they kind of went through that phase. They ran into some issues there with some equipment. Uh, it's kind of been a bit of a perfect storm <laughs> for them. Um, and so I, I don't know what to expect going forward, but, you know, as, as massive as they are, um, I wouldn't expect this to last too terribly long. Um, I haven't had any issue getting, you know, the powder on Amazon and, and things like that. Um, but it, you're just going to have to deal with it is kind of the short answer. Um, when it happens, it happens. And, uh, you know, PepsiCo who owns Gatorade, they know what they're doing. And if anybody can figure it out, it'll be them. But yeah, they're just, there's a lot of headwinds right now for Gatorade. So well, let me buy take, the powder and stock up. Exactly. So yeah. let me take that to a different level. Cause I, mm-hmm. I could ask the same question that Scott Camp asks. And, mm-hmm. and apply that to, okay, why can't I only get two flavors of my coffee creamer? Why can't I get um, my protein drink from Costco that mm-hmm. carried my protein drink for six years? Why can't I find dog food? I'm seeing spotty, and I remember what you said a few years ago that companies are going to start um, shrinking down and getting rid of flavors and getting rid of varieties and keep mm-hmm. it to their bare minimums. And I'm wondering if that's kind of right. what's happening. Yeah, that's what's happening. I mean, that's still continuing from a couple of years ago um, is that companies are very cautious about the innovation space because there's risk there. Um, and with, you know, as a company, when your margin is getting really, really squeezed, one of the ways that you can increase your margin slightly on the products you do sell is by cutting out the products that don't sell as well. So if you're looking at overall margin, so if you're overall, you know, 7%, which is low and it's hard to survive on something like that. But if you say your margin 7% and you're running 15 products, well, if you cut out five of those that aren't selling as well, what that, the effect of that is that you're not spending time switching over lines, right? So you've got less labor. You're not um, purchasing quite so many, uh, unique labels or packages or such, right? So you can redis- redirect those funds into getting discounts, perhaps if you buy enough, on the labels and packages that you need for your top 10 products. Um, your distribution changes um, instead of stacking, you know, uh, half a truck of this and a quarter truck of that, a quarter truck of that, you can do a full truck of your top selling products and cut out some of the logistics. So that's what that's been going on for a while. Um, it's been going on more lately just because of the supply side, uh, inflation, uh, wholesale inflation is, is out of, out of control. So that's, that's a lot of what you're seeing is just minimizing those products that don't sell so well, because it does have a positive effect to your margin, your overall margin, uh, for a product line. If you cut out certain things. Well, this would explain um, why the big yeah. launch, the big launch of Gatorade's new flavor has not happened. That new flavor being hot dog water. No, I'm kidding. That would be awful. Nobody would buy yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what, that's, we've had a lot of questions. Yeah, we have, a, we have about 34 more questions. Yeah. I should quit making jokes about Gatorade's hot dog water. Delicious, refreshing drink. So I'll ask Oklahoma Papa's question, and I think this will definitely have an overreach over many of the upcoming questions. And he uh-huh. asked, Dan, what is your forecast for six to nine months out, and what areas should we as preppers focus on? Well, you talk about a big question. Um, uh, continued slow-rolling disaster. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had to yeah. get that phrase in because I think I've said it in every show. It's just a slow rolling disaster. And so what you have seen, expect to see more. I have zero expectations that supply side inflation is coming down. I don't care what the Fed says and I don't care what the, you know, the, the overall 
so-called core inflation rate is um, supply side inflation is not going anywhere anytime soon. So, you know, what you see as far as prices, you should assume that, that it's going to stay there or go up. I don't think that prices are coming down from these levels. Why would they? All these right. companies have been surviving for the past 12 months or longer on very much uh, depressed margins over what they would normally make. And so when they raise prices, even if inflation comes down, even if two years from now supply side inflation comes down, those companies have zero incentive to lower prices. Absolutely none. Um, they can look back and say, well, in 2021 and 2022, our average margin was 10%. Our goal is 20. We raised prices, prices, input prices came down. Now we're making 30. Well, now we're just making up for those two years where we didn't make enough, right? That's what, that's what every company is going to do. So as prices go, they're going to be very, very sticky. Um, so projecting out into the future, you know, you should expect prices to stay here or continue to elevate. I would also say that, um, you know, just focus on the areas that mean most to you, right? So I, I have always had a tendency um, for my own family to focus on protein. Um, you know, we raise animals for slaughter and we have chickens and eggs and all this kind of thing. That's always been a big area of focus for us is sustainable protein because you can stack grain to the ceiling in your spare closet, uh, but you really can't do that with protein. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say just continue along with whatever's most important to you, continue to stack it. Um, because another aspect that I won't get into right now necessarily is just that uh, I, I think personally that the geopolitical situation is not going to get any better in the coming years. Yeah. Um, and so as geopolitics goes, often so does um, global food production. Yeah, and I just see that kind of as a compounding thing. Well, we we have like just mm -hmm. a few seconds here. Glenn, do you have any comments before we kind of? No, I don't. Uh, Dan is the kind of guest that you can never add anything to what he says because he says it, number one, very well. And number two, he really knows what he's talking about. And by the way, I wasn't kidding when I said back by popular demand. Dan is our most popular guest. One of the Patreon uh, comments we get the most is, when's Dan coming back on? Well, and we can just have him on two <laughs> weeks ago. Yeah, and stuff's already and, changed. And everyone's like, what's going on? And and what I do appreciate, and especially if you're new to to Prepping 2.0, go back and listen to his other yeah. shows. They're kind yeah. of amazing. So before we go into the break, though, I always want to give a wonderful shout out to our uh, very faithful sponsors, uh, Jared Savick and Lizzie McDaniel, both awesome realtors. And you can find them at redstaterealtors.com. Katie Armour. And Backwoods Home Magazine. Boy, I've been reading up that one lately. Uh, My Kind CBD, New Mana Foods, and EMP Shield. Folks, we're going to go. Go ahead, Glenn. I was just going to let folks know all of our sponsors. You can go to prepping2-0.com. Click on the Friends and Affiliates tab. And all the logos come up. And all of the discount codes are available there. You can get some pretty sweet deals from our website. So go to prepping2-0.com, friends and affiliates tab. Go ahead and start your clicking. We have so many more things to talk about on the other side of the break. Don't go away. More of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher is coming right up. Hear all our previous shows free online at prepping2-0.com. Shelby Gallagher here. We found that you need to layer your food preps. Yeah, this is Glenn Tate here. A lot of times the hardest part of layering is the long-term foods. We love Numana foods, which have a 25-year shelf life and are non-GMO. Also, organic meals are available. Numana comes in family-style portions and in bulk. This is not backpacking food. It's family meals that last for at least 25 years. The perfect freeze-dried part of your food layering. You can get a sample of Numana meals for $19.95 and see for yourself. You will be amazed. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount by entering the code PREP. Go to Numana.com or click the link on the Prepping 2.0 website. Give it a try. Numana.com. That is N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. When the grid goes down, darkness will descend fast. Used to be there was nothing you could do about an EMP, electromagnetic pulse, or CME, coronal mass ejection. Now you can protect your electronics, protect your family, 
thanks to EMP Shield. EMP Shield invented a simple to install device that prevents whatever's connected to it from frying in an EMP or a CME, and it costs just a few hundred dollars. EMP Shield has been tested by independent laboratories and passed muster with the government, which has ordered lots of them. Google EMP Shield and see for yourself. And save some money. Get a $50 discount per device. Go to prepping2-o.com. Click on the Friends and Affiliates page, then click on the EMP Shield logo. At checkout, use coupon code PREPPING2.0. It's all one word. Love America and a great cup of coffee? At Minutemen Coffee, we're passionate about our freedom, liberty, and exceptional coffee. Minutemen Coffee is a nationally recognized specialty coffee roaster, offering small batch roasted coffee for the people. Our heritage line is something for everyone, featuring dark, medium, and light roasts that are bold but not bitter, and offered in whole bean, drip, and K-pods. Our liberal tears decaf also packs bold flavor for those who want delicious, satisfying coffee any time of the day. Plus, a portion of Minutemen Coffee sales goes to first responders and veteran-focused charities. And check out our coffee club for free shipping, 15% off, and the freedom to choose your roast grind quantity and how often you want it delivered. Shop online at MinutemenCoffee.com and use promo code FREEDOM at checkout for 15% off your first order. And have the freshest, most delicious coffee in the country delivered right to your door. Go to MinutemenCoffee.com. That's MinutemenCoffee.com. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. Looking to meet other like-minded people in your area? Looking to start your own prepper group? Already have a group? Join PrepperNet.com. PrepperNet has gathered the biggest names in the industry to help unite preppers everywhere. Join John Jacob Schmidt, Scott Hunt, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, Glenn Tate, Shelby Gallagher, Charlie Hogwood, Samuel Culper, Survivor Jane, Rick Austin, Franklin Horton, Ryan Mitchell, and Brian Duff. Our team is united. Check us out at PrepperNet. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. PrepperNet.com. Prepping 2.0 is about that next level of prepping. One of the key 2.0 items to have is bulletproof body armor plates. I used to think body armor was too tactical for a regular guy like me, but it isn't. Give yourself, your family, and your team an unfair advantage when bullets are flying. Body armor used to be expensive and hard to get. Not anymore. KD Armor, and that stands for come and take it, makes solid and affordable body armor for normal people. Get body armor while you can. The clowns in Congress are trying to prohibit future sales. KD Armor is the place to get it. C-A-T-I-Armor.com. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount when you use the coupon code GRANT. Now, more of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Man, love this show and all the meat and potatoes, literally, haha, <laughs> that we're getting into. So, Glenn. I'm going to mention U.S. Law Shield. You know, we had the Indiana mall shooting with that incredibly great guy, that 22-year-old with no training, who took 10 shots at 40 yards, eight of which struck a guy, a moving target, and he was, the good guy, was moving people to safety as he advanced on the target. You're gonna say, wow, that's a great story. I mean, what could go wrong? Well, now he's in a red state, so he's probably not gonna get charged with it, but still, you're gonna need really good legal representation if you're involved in a self-defense situation. Even that guy is probably right, gonna need it. Because there's left-leading gun-grabbing oh, yeah. sort of entities out there that- and you can get sued civilly. Exactly. So US Law Shield is what we personally use in the Tate Gallagher household. So go ahead and go to prepping2-0.com, friends and affiliates link, look at the big US Law Shield logo and you can get uh, the discount there, which is a pretty sweet discount. This coverage only costs about a hundred bucks a year. So it's not nearly as expensive as I thought it would be. I also wanted to give a shout out to our fellow podcast on the Firearms Radio Network, which is a network of firearms related podcasts. There are 28 of us and we are spotlighting one every week. This week is one of my personal favorites. We like shooting. It is absolutely hilarious. If you want a good gun related chuckle or 10, go ahead and listen to We Like Shooting. Shelby and I have been guests on the show several times. It's one of those shows where I didn't know any of these guys. There's about four of them and about 20 minutes into it, I was already making fun of them. That's how comfortable I felt with them. So if you like some good humor, um, guys and gals uh, ripping on each other, it is for you. We talked about a topic off air in between the breaks with Dan, because by the way, we, Shelby and I, really like 
hearing what Dan has to say, we're active listeners. So we asked him about the Russia-Ukraine situation and some breaking news that really illustrates things. Dan, why don't you go ahead and mention to the listeners what you mentioned to us in the break? Yeah, sure. So most people have probably seen that Russia and Ukraine via Turkey are trying to sign a deal and did sign a deal to export Ukrainian grain. It was good for 120 days, could be extended, yada, yada, yada. I've been very skeptical of that deal. I don't see where it's in Russia's interest to let that grain leave Ukraine when they could capture it for themselves or at the very least keep the price of wheat high by keeping that supply hold up. The other thing too is that grain's been sitting in silos for longer than it should have. So it's 50-50 as to whether it's even fit for human consumption, but that's a whole nother thing. So they signed this deal a few days ago. This morning, I was having my coffee and looking at the news, and this morning I saw a report that Russia launched four cruise missiles into the largest two grain terminals in the port city of Odessa. Shocking. So they signed this deal saying, oh, yeah, we'll let grain come out, and then they launched missiles into the very terminals that would be shipping that grain. So I remain (laughs) very pessimistic that there's going to be any grain coming out. The second aspect of that, and this is from a buddy of mine who actually lives and works in Europe, and he's the one, one of the many, I guess, who helped negotiate these deals in normal times, right, to to export grain. And, And what he's telling me is that even if this deal were to be allowed, that the insurance companies are going to require a minesweeper and an armed escort for any vessel leaving the Ukrainian port of Odessa. So what it comes down to is the cost of getting grain out of there, even if it were to be allowed, which I don't think it will, but even if it were, the cost of exporting that grain is going to be enormously expensive, and the grain you're exporting is going to be 50-50 as to whether it's even fit for human consumption. So I would say regardless of what you see in the media, when you really start looking behind the scenes on this deal, it's not going to actually alleviate much of anything globally when it comes to to grain. And that inside knowledge, I mean, I have a friend who does multi-million dollar grain negotiation and was talking to me about insurance coverage costs. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. pretty expert inside information. This is a classic example, what you just said, of the outside world saying, hey, preppers, don't worry about it. You guys are saying the sky is falling. The Russians entered into a deal to allow grain to come out. So you guys don't need to be so uptight about food prices. Uh, The more you know, the more uptight you are legitimately entitled to be when you have inside information like Dan has. So that's a great example. So tell all your friends that tell you that you're freaking out that they need to listen to Dan, the food industry guy, because they're going to get some educating that they need. Well, and ever since Russia engaged with Ukraine back in February, they haven't kept one agreement at all. So I'm with Dan on that. I don't trust them. If they sign any, they don't care. They use it to leverage so that they can take another shot, right? Yes. And our next question is from SS. And he says, please ask Dan to give us an update on number one, staples like beans, rice, wheat, and corn. And number two, are the shortages of water impacting food and how so? Irrigation, canning processes, et cetera. Great question from SS. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I covered the grain situation earlier. The water situation, you know, there's over a quarter million acres in California that are lying fallow this year because of shortages of water that would normally be growing primarily vegetables. So the drought situation is certainly severe. If you, you know, go look up what the Colorado River looks like right about now. (laughs) It's not great. The drought is certainly, certainly, certainly a factor. You get a couple of really good wet years that could alleviate a lot of that. But everything I'm seeing says we have probably our third consecutive La Nina year next year. So next year's looking about like this year mm-hmm. is, which is uh, obviously not great. But as far as the drought, I mean, yeah, there's shortages. There's been instances of agriculture wells drying up, you know, all of for example, as the water table drops, things of that nature. It's certainly a factor. As far as like the canning process and stuff, no, not really. 
they've got water. <laughs> if, if you run out of water at your house, then you can be concerned about the industrial and commercial use of water. But believe me, they have their water supplies straightened out. So wouldn't be too concerned about that aspect of it. It's just the production side that's really rough right now. Well, let's go on to the next question. Seth asks, do you have any links to quality articles that lay out just how prevalent food and goods shortages are going to become? Oh, my gosh, I can't get all those S's out. Uh, many are stuck in normalcy bias and completely ignorant to the facts. If they don't see it by now, probably a lost request. So I don't know if you can do that, but um, maybe some resources people can send their friends to who still think everything is just honky-dory. Yeah, I mean, tell them to take 10 minutes and browse AgWeb. AgWeb is just a website that tracks and monitors agriculture production in the U.S., grains and proteins and everything else. I don't have like one article necessarily, but you can go to AgWeb and get an actual pulse of what's going on. They do tend to be a little optimistic, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, you can get a feel at least for what's going on there. And as far as just skepticism, you know, you can send articles when you see them. Hey, look, this is going on here. This is going on there. I would say that for your own legitimacy in that person's mind. Yes. To be sure not to only share the fear mongering stuff, because there's a lot of that out there. There's a lot of YouTube videos with all caps and way too many exclamation points. We're all going to starve kind of thing. Let's just avoid that. But when you see something like you know, this production is down this percentage. And those are good things that you can just kind of chip away in their minds with that, hey, there's probably going to be a problem here. Um, but I don't have like, yeah, go look at this one article or anything. Well, and, and, and if I may speak to that, I would say in the last six months to a year, Dan, and I want, I'm interested to see if you agree with me or not, the amount of mainstream media, not just the fear mongering, not just the one-sided media, Mainstream media is reporting on the shortages. More Look at baby formula. Yeah, they covered that the, pretty the well. The baby formula. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They are covering things, and, and I give them kudos for that, and, I, and I'm not one to give media a whole lot of leeway on, on credit, but they are now s- stopping their silence and speaking out. And I, went, I was curious what you as a kind of a secondary question, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, the coverage has certainly gone up. Um, and it's always a question in my mind of is coverage going up, you know, because polling and such say that right. people are interested or are people interested because coverage is going up? Yeah, <laughs> uh, or both. Uh, I'm not sure which comes first there. Um, but I do think that it's, you know, the the inflation is certainly front of mind for everyone. Mm. And everyone saw what happened during COVID and kind of thought, that's ah, done now. COVID's mostly passed. We won't ever see this again, but they're still seeing it. So you give people two years of sporadic shortages and price hikes and shrinkflation, and then people are naturally going to start taking notice of that. Um, There's a lot more preppers out there than there was in 2019. Mm. That's for sure. Yep. And by the way, the number of downloads of this show is reflecting that. So welcome aboard, everybody. So Seth has a follow-up question, and you can make this as long or short as you want, but, um, and I think I know the answer because you've shared this before. What is your top family focus of things you're doing for your family right now, Dan? Yeah, just store what can be stored for 30 years. Yeah. You know, canned goods and things. Hey, you've got space under that bed, right? That's perfect spot for cans. <laughs> that kind of thing. Exactly. Um, store what you can store that will last a very long time. And if you can't store it, then produce it. You know, have a chicken flock and gardens and things like that. So that's that's just your basic. You know, maybe that's not prepping 2.0. That might be more like 1.0. But no, it's 2.0. Store it, store it, and if and if you can't produce it, um, I would say go out to, and get one of these. Um, calculators and there's spreadsheets and such online that you can find just food stores calculator and put in like your own family members and how many calories that you, that you actually need. Um, and a lot of them will break it down by wheat, corn, blah, blah, blah. Go get one of those and actually look at how much food you need for a year. And it'll probably blow you away if you've never done that before. Hmm. Um, the, the quantity that's required, yes. you know, for your family for a year. And I have a large family, so it's an astronomical number. 
But at the same time, I think that's a good thing to do. And, and it'll help you identify your own weak spots um, as far as, well, I don't have any of that. I don't have any of that. So for our family, that's kind of our consistent area of focus is, hey, where are the gaps we need to fill? Let's store a little more as we go. Every time we go to Sam's or Costco, you know, we buy more canned stuff, set it aside. Every chance we get to increase our production, we do it. So it's a step-by-step thing for us over, over a period of time. One thing I wanted new preppers to hear Dan just say, and if you're on the fence about whether prepping's a good idea, first of all, thank you for listening to this podcast because it's going to be pretty obvious which direction you're going to go in your decision making. But I think it's important for people to realize that a food industry executive is an active prepper. He has way more information than virtually anyone else and just look at what he's doing. So let that sit, let people think about whether it's a good idea to do this. Uh, Stephen D. McClure is our next Patreon who asks or says, I've been told by people who are in the prepper industry that Mountain House can't get food to freeze dry to make their meals. How true is this? Yeah, I I don't have any insight into Mountain House. I wish I did. I, I don't know anyone over there. Um, they aren't in the same, you know, circuit, if you will, that I'm in. Um, so I, I don't know what their individual issues are as far as that's concerned. I've noticed the same thing because we do stock some mountain house. Um, unfortunately, I, I don't have any any inside knowledge on that that you couldn't, you know, probably just do a search online for and find. So yeah. Okay. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> So try harder, Dan. Yeah, really. So this next (laughs) question, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm excited for this next question because um, I think, and then there's a couple of follow-ups to it. I think you're, and you've seen them. So I'm going to let you, I'm going to read it out loud for our listeners. And then this is a biggie. So we've got a good 10 minutes to really focus on this one because I think it will help the whole overview of this whole idea of what's coming up. And Lou Avery asks, will there be regional effects? For example, shortages in some regions of the country that are not seen in others. And if so, what might those effects be? And then we'll talk about the follow-ups if we should. Yeah, this is a big one. This is a big overreaching thing. Regional effects. Take it away, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. This is a big one. And I, I'm a Patreon with you guys as well. So I can kind of see these two follow-ups as well. And there's a, there's probably five or six questions um, in the, in the chat here that are along the same vein, right? Which is essentially what it essentially comes down to is what does the order priority or order flow look like inside the food industry? Right. Um, are the cities going to get the food and the countryside doesn't that kind of thing. And that's a huge topic. So yeah, uh, take a swig of coffee and and grab a pen. Mm -hmm. So essentially this is, this is how this works, right? First of all, it is not an urban versus rural thing. It's not, it's just not. Um, If you're a manufacturer, so if you sit where I sit, there are two ways that your product gets into a retail store, like one, one location. One is you sell directly to the retailer. It, the transaction is between you and that retailer. Second option is you sell via distributor. You sell your product to a distributor who services a lot of stores, and then they fill the orders outbound to the retailer. Okay, so the first option is direct. So you're shipping direct to, from your facility to the retailer's facility. So typically, this is what you do with some of the really major chains. I think Walmart, for example, they have their own distribution network. So when we sell into Walmart, because Walmart's a huge customer of ours, uh, when we sell into Walmart, we take our product, we fill a truck, and we send it straight to Walmart's facility. There's no middleman, right? They have the infrastructure to handle it. And it doesn't matter where those retailers are in this scenario. You're, you're selling into hundreds of stores or thousands of stores scattered across a massive area, right? Um, it's a shorter supply chain and the manufacturer has more control, but when Walmart places an order, you fill the order. And so say your order goes to St. Louis. Well, Walmart's evenly distributing that product. They're placing the order with us to cover all 100 stores in the St. Louis area. Some of those stores might be 150 miles outside of St. Louis, but it's still the same order, 
right? It's still going out to all stores that are serviced by that Walmart warehouse. And so there's not really going to be, you know, an urban rural divide or anything along, along those lines. The second option is via distributor. So we get an order, we ship directly to the distributor's facility, and then the distributor takes orders from retail chains and ship out on their own trucks, right? So we're still talking to buyers and reaching agreements to carry our product and all that. The distributor's not doing that. But when it comes to logistics, it's essentially manufacturer to distributor to retail chain, right? And this is how, by the way, the overwhelming majority of food is delivered to retailers in the U.S. I don't have direct numbers in front of me. Um, I don't even know if you could find numbers on exactly the ratio, but my best guess would be that upwards of 90% of food consumed in the U.S. first went through a distributor, not direct. Um, so in this scenario, in this distributor scenario, which is virtually everything you eat, you're filling orders to the distributor on a DC basis. DC stands for distribution center, right? So you have the distributor company and they have distribution centers, DCs, all over the country, right? So think of the DC as all the orders go into the DC for that region and then the manufacturer fills into the DC and then everything goes out the retail source, okay? So a distributor will have a ton of DCs all around. Um, mostly on the outskirts of major urban areas. You want to be near major transport hubs and things like that, right? You know, so Dallas has a ton, Chicago has a ton, LA has a ton, you know, Nashville, Orlando, Miami, they all, they, they all major urban areas have DCs. So when the retailer, the individual store says, hey, I need more of X, they place an order into the DC. Hey, this store needs, you know, you need 24 of this item and 12 of this item and 12 of this item, et cetera. It goes into the DC. The DC then sends a purchase order to the manufacturer and the manufacturer has two weeks to fulfill the order. So the DC puts all these orders together into one lump sum and sends it to the manufacturer. And again, these cover multiple states, right? Urban, rural, all of it. So it's a first come first serve basis inside the DCs. The distributor cannot turn away a rural customer in favor of an urban one because they all have contracts as far as how the spread of goods and what that flow looks like inside the DC, right? I've never even heard of a contract in this industry that allows a distributor to prioritize one chain of, or one retailer or even one individual store over any other stores. If they did do that, they would lose all their business <laughs> mm -hmm. because everyone who wasn't number one on the priority line would go to another distributor that would guarantee them parity. Okay. So what they do is they do limit orders evenly. So say for example, um, the distributor has a shortage. What they're going to do is they're going to say everyone gets a 75% fulfillment rate not over what you're asking for, but over what your projected and historical sales are. So retailers, especially during COVID, they tried to front run the problem. <laughs> if they normally ordered 100 cases, they would just go ahead and order 200, knowing they weren't going to get the full order. But if we put in for 200 and we get 120, then we're still above the 100 we need, right? That happened a ton. So distributors are like, uh-uh, we're going to look at the historical sales data in your stores and our projections and we're going to give you X percent on all of that, right? And so if there are shortages or potential shortages inside the distributor, everybody gets the same. You, yeah, you may be a massive chain and there may be a little mom and pop shop in a rural town that only got one store, but guess what? Everyone has even priority. Hmm. That's what's in the contracts. So now back to the manufacturer. You have all these orders coming in, right? So I'm sitting here and I don't directly work with logistics, but I have people that do. And so, you know, you're a logistics manager in a, in a food manufacturer and you have all these orders coming in and you have direct orders, you have distributor orders, and you believe you're going to be short. So you have to decide now as a manufacturer, how do I approach this shortage? And there's basically three ways this can be handled. One orders get served as they come in, right? So this is, you know, 
first come first serve. And when we run out, we run out. Sorry. And most don't do that. Most really don't like to do that because what you're doing is you're turning away whole orders and that's going to damage the relationship you have with the retailers who get turned away. Right. That's not going to work out for you. If a certain distributor gets zero product and then that they represent 15 retail chains that you sell into and they get zero product. Yikes. Next time the category review comes around, you're probably up the creek with no paddle. <laughs> because you sent nothing. So that doesn't happen very often. The second option is to project the volume of orders that will come in over the next, say, quarter. And that's that's not hard to do, by the way. Um, that's very, very simple to determine about what the orders are going to be. Um, and you allocate your product in whatever ratio you determine is best and send out partial orders. So similar to what a, a DC would do, you say, hey, we're going to be 25% short. Every order that comes in gets 75% until the issue is resolved. Um, it, it's a little more complex than that because some products you might not have shortages and some products you might have 50% shortage and some products you might have 20% shortage, but you can do the math and figure it out, right? Um, and so at least that way, everybody gets something. And it's a lot more complex than that. I'm just trying to simplify it down into to terms that um, that everybody can, can get a handle on. Um, the last option is to prioritize based upon profit margin. Hmm. Where do you make the most money? Um, fill those orders, right? And then the lower margin areas don't get anything or very little because what you're trying to do is you're trying to maximize your profitability and keep your own business viable in terms of uh, in a situation where there's shortages. Like keep your key retailers and your key distributors most happy because you make the most money from them as opposed to these others over here that you don't make as much. Usually you make the most money in direct sales, not distributor sales. The distributors have their reach and then you can access a lot more overall stores. But generally when you sell direct to a chain, you make more money that way. Um, there's just a lot, there's, there's no middleman. You don't have to account for that. Logistics are cheaper and simpler and easier and that kind of thing. So that's one of the reasons why you do occasionally regional issues. Um, if you're looking at a profit margin model, you're still not going to say urban rural, but what you're going to say is if I can ship to this DC, that's 200 miles away and make X profit, but, or I can ship to a DC that's a thousand miles away and my profit margin drops 4% because logistics. Well, it looks like we just lost, sadly, Dan, the food industry guy. Folks, don't worry about that. We are, it's about that time anyway that we go into the after show if you're a Patreon supporter. And if you're not, then why are you still lurking? I encourage you to join us over there. We're going to get um, Dan joined back up with us and continue with our Patreon uh, questions. But folks, as you all know from Benjamin Franklin, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. All the information you've heard today, including all our previous shows, is online at prepping2-0.com. Find out more about Glenn's books at 299days.com and Shelby's books at agreatstate.com. Until next time, be smart, be safe, and be prepared.